Hey everyone and welcome to the first edition of the Catalyst Podcast, a podcast where we discuss our passions and how we're bringing these uh, passions into our livelihoods. I'm your host Nathaniel Lachance and today our guest Ben Farella is joining us and he'll be discussing uh, various topics on the entrepreneur life and sharing his background. Enjoy the hour. So Ben Farella is the owner of good to go and um, he's agreed to mentor me uh, for a few sessions. Jeez. There we go. So now all <laughs> the cameras are synced. All right. So Ben. Hi. It's great to have you. It's great to be here. Being that I'm trying to collect perspective on what it means to be an entrepreneur, one of the most exciting things I guess to know would be like where it all started. Right. Right. Good question. Well, I've owned over 30 businesses in my life. I believe I've counted. It could be even more than that. But, you know, I guess where it all started was um, the very first business that I owned. I was 12 years old. And uh, there's actually a, 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 the original sign is in my good to go. I think yeah. I may have showed it to you the other day. It's called it was called Ben's Vegetable Market. Right. And uh, anyway, my, my dad, you know, found that I was a very difficult, challenging 12-year-old kid, and he thought, what am I going to do with this wild young man? And, and so he was Italian, and we had tons of gardens, and he had a hobby farm. So he had the idea of, hey, listen, well, we have all these vegetables. Ben will harvest them, and he will have a vegetable market. So I lived in Brockville, Ontario, on an old scenic road, highway number two. There was a Dairy Queen, and there was, across the road, was an old a&W lot the A&W had moved so my dad bought that lot and one day he comes home and has the sign and says you're gonna run a vegetable market this summer because right. I want to keep you out of trouble so he said there was only one rule though the only rule is is that you you can you can harvest all the vegetables you have to do the work yourself you get the vegetables for free you keep all of the money that is sold there's only one rule you can't ask an adult for help so my dad was, he had a great sex education, but he was one of the most intelligent men I've ever met. He, I mean, he, he understood the tax acts and the county acts better than his lawyers right. and accountants, I thought, at the time. Right. But anyway, so here I went, first day, and it may have been, you know, close to this time in June of um, 1976, so that'll tell you how old I am, in 1970. Six, I believe. Um, in June, I had the first day I had all my vegetables out, and you know, I didn't sell very much. And I think it was because I had no clue how much to price things at. So I had tomatoes right. for like twenty dollars, and lettuce right. for eighteen, and something for two cents. I right. had no clue. And of course, it's 1976, and these numbers were catastrophic and enormous for today, but they were really bad back then. So, you know, I was frustrated and I said, take me to the grocery store to my mother. So, boom, I went right. to the grocery store. How much yeah. are they charging for things? Market research done. Right. Market research. So that was the yeah. first thing. But I don't know I'm doing market research. I'm just solving a problem, right? So I yeah. solved the problem in the market research. And I'm going to try to make this story short. But long and short of it is, um, after a week, I think I had cobbled together $200 in sales. Right. And I went to the local radio station with my mother I had an instinct I said I need more business so I went to the local radio station which at the time you know there's only traditional media right 
And this 12-year-old kid walks in with $200 in cash and says, I want to buy some advertising, which was me. Right. And uh, laid it on the table. And I thought I just went on air right away. I didn't know how it worked. I thought, can I just go on there? I know what I want to say. And can I go on there right now? And, of course, I was told that you right. have to record a commercial. So I, they asked me if I wanted help. I said, no, I wanted to do it myself. And I got on and recorded this commercial. And I wish I kept right. it, but it was basically this. Hi, my name is Ben. I'm 12 years old. And I have the best vegetables in all of Brockville, but nobody's coming. And I can't right. understand why no one's coming. And if you do, it'll be great, blah, 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 blah. So I guess I was pretty animated. And the impact of this commercial in the community was crazy. I mean, people were like, did you hear this little kid on the radio? The next day I had... I mean, literally, literally, over right. 10 little old ladies helping me bag, and people started to come and buy my vegetables. Right. And at the end of five weeks, I think I made over $3,600, right. and I was hooked. I was hooked. Right. I was hooked about business. Wow, that's interesting. And I was hooked, I think I was hooked, looking back on it, about the power of communications and influence, right. which led me to a number of different other businesses, but eventually into what I did for a long time, which was marketing and communications. And I think the power associated with helping influence a person to buy something versus this product over that product or to, to change their mind about something, I found quite um, uh, alluring to me, you know, and yeah. uh, I spent my life yeah. trying to develop ideas and strategies to do that. Now that's evolved since I think right. marketing communication has. But yeah, so I mean that that was the first one and 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 I I'll never forget that. I mean the power of taking risks and the power of of a, a creative impactful message and the power of market research right. and the power of relationships and engaging with customers that I had to learn at a 12-year-old um, age I guess was powerful. And I did lots of other things, Nathaniel. Like, I mean, I, I remember I was, I did, my buddy and I, when we were 16, we saw a little ad in the paper for um, cleaning and maintaining Bell telephone booths. So right. my buddy and I, we, we did this submission and we won. They didn't know that we were 16. So when we showed up after winning the contract with our squeegee buckets and so on. Right. And what you had to do at the time was go around to these phone booths. Your generation doesn't know what those things are anymore. But they used to be everywhere. These little glass boxes. Yeah. And you'd go in and you'd at the time put a dime in. Yes, it works. And you'd have to clean the booth and... You got paid so much. Per right. Bill. Yeah. Yeah. I saw a few of them early on, but never really, never really used them that much. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's interesting. How, um, I mean, even back in that history, you were um, selling and marketing fresh food and yeah. healthy food. So Isn't that ironic. It, it maps pretty well to actually what you're doing now. But yeah, it reminds me of kind of as a child when I started doing like some yard sales and stuff. Right. And not really knowing the value of things and setting them too high and people kind of like not really knowing like or not really being able to make that purchase de decision just because I did not know how to price yep. things and value things at the at what they were worth you know mm. used and 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 whatnot so yeah it was interesting in those days but then you know uh, and then just kind of doing a paper route you know it was. 
different and then working at a fast food joint in you know, a Wendy's and then yeah. uh, beyond that uh, I did a couple little like co-ops and stuff like for graphic design so there was a bit of communications in that for me but that but I mean kind of all throughout my high school I had been producing videos with mm. um, like in class and then friends out of school and then just kind of doing that thing so for for the longest while it was everything kind of funneled around creating videos mm. and uh, I guess after that um, I still hadn't fully realized the potential for that in in uh, in a business way like where I could put a business model around that um, but I, I I mean long story short I ended up going to college and studying mm. computer sciences ah. so that in a couple ways maps to what I'm doing now, but it wasn't it, it wasn't exactly I, I was looking to go on a kind of an entirely different career path. So um, I, I mean like halfway through I, I I ended up kind of figuring how to do the business model and and I guess finding the true value in it and being able to price myself properly and and then and then starting my business out uh, at that point. So it's kind of funny that, that you went back to what you loved to do in high school, though, right? Yeah. It's funny, right? Computer sciences, yeah. but you made videos because yeah. you loved to do that or yeah. liked to do it. And the irony is that you're, in, in part at least, doing that again today or, or at yeah. least creating content to tell stories. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. So when it comes to uh, what you're doing now, hmm. and then uh, so, so you're doing lots of marketing and communications, maybe tell me a little bit more about your background in marketing communications. Yeah. Um, well, I, I got into that as a fluke. I, I, you know, it's kind of a crazy story. Again, so my whole youth was quite, you know, crazy and, and dramatic and, and, and so on. But I was going to be a lawyer. I was uh, studying, uh, started in, in commerce, actually sports administration at Laurentian University. I realized after a couple of years, I, I didn't dig that. And you know, I went into economics and political science, but I decided at that point I was very active in politics and I wanted to become a lawyer, which is quite at that time very, very um, a common sort of career path, law and politics at the time. And um, I was student president at the student union at Laurentian University and one thing led to another. So after my undergrad, I, had, I went to this program called UCF, the Université Canadienne en France. So that what they did was Laurentian was the host university and they had 250 students from across ca ca every Canadian university right. to create a microcosm of Canada in France. Right. And they were taking their second year courses and I went there to learn French and to be the student liaison. So anyway, long story short again, I got into some trouble with my dad and his money. He had put some money in Spain. I was supposed to bring it back. I didn't, you know, I wasn't supported financially and I didn't go to law school and I had to really get to work. So I went back to Sudbury and met a friend of mine who was in graphics. And he, he and I decided one night that we were gonna start an advertising agency. We had, he had the technical ability. He thought I had the sales ability. So we started Delta Advertising and Design in 19, 88 and that morphed into right. two three mergers which actually led to 
um, buying Vic Fidelli's business, Fidelli Advertising, in 1992. And we grew that and grew that and had an Ottawa office and a, we called it a Toronto office, but it was Barry. Mm -hmm. And we sold the three of those to a public company and uh, did quite well financially. And um, yeah, I got back in 2002 and, and bought that, the North Bay chapter of that back. And I've been trying right. to kind of get out of it as I feel like marketing and communications has changed uh, a lot. Um, but it's interesting that, you know, it was the power of influence. It's back to that vegetable stand thing, right? Yeah. Is that how can I create stories and campaigns or be part of something that helps change a person's mind? And I thought that was quite, I don't know, enthralling or powerful to me. Learned a ton about it and it's changed dramatically. So I, I love the fact that you want to actually do that in the future mm -hmm. one day. Yeah, that's, that's cool. cool. So, so what were some of the uh, tasks that your marketing agencies were involved with um, yeah. for clients? For clients? Yeah. Well, we, we were, you know, I guess some of the bigger clients that we had. I remember being the lead uh, for the um, brand development for the Canadian Pacific Railway. Completely did a whole new brand redevelopment in the 90s, I believe. So CPR was a big client. Um, right. I remember that Yukon Tourism was a big client. We won lots of awards creatively for that. So everything from right. developing the strategy mm -hmm. and the plan and and then executing the creative across every platform, whether that was television, right. radio, print, collateral. Right. So and those then were like the media forms then. Media forms. So it's, it's changed a lot oh, like, yeah. since then. It like, sure has. Uh, so, yeah. You know, we, we, the so, internet and the web was just happening. We were at the forefront of it, actually, in our Calgary firm in the 90s. So when it did explode, yeah. you were at the forefront to kind of we leverage that new, that new technology. We were, and it was just, it was nuts. You know, oh my gosh, you had, you could, have, people were freaked out by the right. power of, of this technology, if you were. You know, I'll tell you a little story. It's funny, as I think Vic Fideli told me when I bought his agency that he was the first guy to have a fax machine in North Bay. What's a fax machine I, now? But I mean, right. that was the yeah. primary way of, of, of doing stuff. So yeah, it's changed so, so much. But you know what really hasn't changed? It's business is about people. Mm -hmm. People, it's about, it's about engaging. And, you know, I always told the, always said that um, the definition of advertising way back when is the truth provocatively told. Mm -hmm. Right? So I used to say right. it's just talking about what you're passionate about. I don't care if you're 100 years old or 21 years old. Right. If you can get someone talking about what they're passionate about and you're, you know, you're capturing that and then having to reframe that in a story that helps them, whether you're doing a video or you're building a website or right. doing an ad, it's that, that's really what mm. it's all about. Yeah, so to, to be able to turn it like, maybe, like what we're doing now yeah. is you're sharing your passion about sure. what you did and then we can maybe like strip the audio from the video and then that could be in the podcast form, could be. in a video form, yeah. uh, in an image form. So, I mean, there's so many different things we could we could do with that. But yeah, that's, that's definitely interesting. Telling the, like, telling the truth provocatively or just telling... I, I think, you know, and that's, you know, I want to do a podcast at some point called TBH, to be honest. And what I really think is the most important thing in life and in yeah. business is capturing those truthful moments. Like, I just feel like all of a sudden we just started talking about this and everything got a little bit more real. 
right? Everything, I can feel the energy between right. us get a little bit more intense because I think the world and the audience, whoever they may be, are craving honesty. Right. They're craving yeah. it. And it's so difficult to get that in bite-sized pieces. So it's, Especially you know, with technology, yeah, right? It's it really so takes like, it really takes time to like, well, we got we can't rely on the instant gratification of a 60 second video all the time or, or short form content. But if we can sit down with people and do like something like a half hour, it really takes at least that to like kind of break some walls down and get I th in. I think it helps, right. but I think the, 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 what, what, what propels people into success is when you're able to distill that quicker. Right. If you can get to it, without right. having that half hour or hour or 10 hours or right. 10 years of relate. Think about it. Sometimes you have friends, you don't even know anything about them for years. Right. But I'm sort of obsessed with the power, the multiple power of, of, of extreme vulnerability, vulnerability and honesty. And when you can capture that, I think it, 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 it'll do wonders for your business. It'll do wonders for you personally. It'll do wonders right. for your relationship. It does wonders for everyone. And I find it difficult now because I know that's my life's purpose or that's what I want to do. When I'm doing anything other than that, I tend to get more tired. I tend to get distracted. Right. So I'm trying to find a way to incorporate that in everything that I do. Right. So, you know, and, and, you know to, to younger folks like you is figuring out how to tell you meaningful uh, upsides of that. Mm -hmm. Right? And it's against our nature at times mm -hmm. to be vulnerable and honest right. and so there you go yeah well i love that well like being able to distill something is i think well something that's becoming more and more demand because we need things we do still need things like to be in bite-sized format yeah. so to be able to um tell someone's story in 60 seconds <laughs> is or in 30 seconds or whatnot you know is is pretty important as well yeah. so it's the old you know we used to you know uh it's the old elevator elevator pitch right you know can you tell them your story by the time you get down from the 10th floor to the first floor can right you, have, have you got that down right and I'm, i remember training people or coaching people in marketing about that is uh you know so you know it used to be like well what do you do uh what's in it for them and and um what do you what do you want them to do next right so right. there's the, the this whole briefing you know who are you talking to what do you want them to do what's in it for them and what do you want them to do next and if you can get that across in that elevator pitch right you know it's part of that distillation process mm -hmm. yeah that's awesome and, and if you can be honest in that and seeing and and how how that's going to play out for the relationship between yeah. those two people um think that can do lots of wonders, eh? Yeah, I think so. You know, how many people go, um, you know, and I'll, I'll tell you, for me, you know, when I, I was, I'm now, I guess I'm a restaurateur because I own Good To Go. I suck at it. <laughs> I'll be candid. I am, I am, I know nothing comparative to other restaurateurs or kitchen professionals. I'm learning and I'm failing in learning, but you know, that's not really what drives me. What drives me is developing a brand and a concept around healthy food fast because I believe the entire world mm -hmm. wants to eat healthier and how I'm going to duplicate that across the province, right. country, and countries. But as a restaurateur, I suck at it. 
So um, I think whenever I say that to people, they, they kind of go, what do you mean? Yeah, I'm brutal. I'm really bad at running a restaurant. I don't understand it at all. But what I'm really good at is right. learning how to improve that sort of quickly. And, you know, right away I've got someone's attention. I even tell that to um, prospective franchisees, people from other cities who want to buy my franchise, is that I'll, I'll do a lot better at teaching you how to run this restaurant than, than I was at, at developing the, the structures to run this restaurant. That's cool. Well, I mean, it, it takes a while to develop, I guess, the structure, but maybe tell me a little bit more about Good To Go when, sure. it's, when it started. Yeah. So, again, always a funny story. It was around 2011 or 12. I can't remember when. I think we had a client. At the time, the Ben Farella group was sort of an incubator, and we had people come in, and we developed this whole concept around healthy food fast. Because at the time, there was no gluten-free, there was very little vegan, yeah. it was just a concept in someone's mind, but we developed it and then they kind of abandoned the, the, the project and we kind of sat on the shelf for a while. And then um, I remember I was walking over to the lot I owned across from Good Life, where the first Good To Go was, right. and there was a whole bunch of cars there and I said, they should just ask me if they're going to park here. And I walked over and they were renovating Good Life. And for whatever reason, we got into talking about their new renovation and plans. And I said, where's your food service going to be? And they said, they're not going to have one. And I went, hmm. I just remember that ruminating in my mind. And um, I said, you know what? I had a client that I wanted to do some market research for. And I said, could I survey some of your, your members? And part of the survey was, the thing that I remember the most was 72% of people that went to that gym bought something after five minutes of leaving the gym. Right. Makes sense. They're they have hungry. To, hungry, thirsty, yeah. replenish. So that hmm, came in my mind. So on a whim, we put together an application to the Northern Ontario Heritage Fund for a grant to start up this new concept. We were successful, but I didn't take the money. After six months, they called and said, hey, you're the first person in the history of Northern Ontario that hasn't taken this money for their business. And right. I said, well, I'm not really sure I want to do it. It was just an idea. They said, you know what, I'm going to give you a six-month extension. No, sorry, it was after one year they called me, they gave me a six-month extension. Someone then came into my life who had food service experience, and I thought, man, I went to the Good Life, I got this survey, they're giving me a six-month right. extension, there's some money here, I better start this thing. So... Um, we did it. We just jumped in and, and started it. It's been the most difficult, challenging ride of my life. It's a very, very difficult industry. Right. Yes, and, for sure. Uh, the food industry is not like, it's yeah. not an easy, I guess, you have all the health and safety guidelines and then you're, you're dealing with, you want to make, you want to have a certain quality of service and speed to it, but then you also want it to taste good while oh. being healthy. So I, I can understand, I mean, especially with the type of restaurant you're, you're targeting and the type of yeah. client you're targeting, I think some of the demands are even higher because they want something that's good yeah. and that's healthy and that's actually going to give them a boost instead of like giving them a crash, especially after they've just maybe like worked out. So they need something that like mm. that's quality. And so, so, so the difference maybe between a fast food restaurant as well is like, 
that there's a lot more fresh produce in that as well. Yeah, it, it, you know, we have this kind of juxtaposition line, healthy food fast or fresh food fast. Not, not fresh fast food, fresh right. food fast or healthy right. you know, food fast. And, right. and we think, again, that brings us down to the mission, right? We think that everybody on the planet wants to eat healthier. Right. We do. Yeah. Some people admit it, some people don't. But we think everybody does down deep. The, the problem are three things. They don't have the time, they don't have the knowledge, and they don't have the access. So if we can solve those three problems, we think we have a chance at succeeding. And then you're right, we, we've really created a difficult challenge for ourselves because the food service industry is all about nickels and dimes and small little margins. And our food cost is way higher than the majority of fast food because we use mostly natural, organic when we can product. We hand process everything. It's not done mechanically. There's no packaging or preservatives. That creates that costs money to do that. Therefore, we have to charge a little bit more than everybody else, but probably can't charge what we should, right? But the whole idea is to is to create a, a template in North Bay, and if it works here, it'll work anywhere. And I've done this in, new, in numerous occasions in my career. Trial it in North Bay. If it works, then roll it out nationally. Um, so yeah, it's it's also difficult. You know, it's different about it. I used to be in professional service. I've never run a day-to-day -day execution-oriented business. It never ends. Every day at 7 a.m. it starts again, right. and the employees don't show up or do show up, and the customers do come in or don't come in, and the same stuff has to be made, and you know, uh, the same little mistakes are made. The paprika was used instead of the cumin, and all of a sudden that met that that. That recipe, it's it's ah, it's crazy. Right. To it's such a complicated science project of details, you know. And I'm a big thirty thousand foot viewer of things, and you got to get into the weeds one inch off the ground. And as much as I hate it, you know, I've had to learn to love the things I hate. Big lesson there, you know, is anybody that's. If you can learn to love the things you hate, truly right. love them. Right. Because I don't care if you if you continue to hate them, you won't learn. Right. But if you can learn to love something about them, you'll uh, make exponential um, mm -hmm. strides. Yeah, when you're not so comfortable, like if you're doing something that if you're mm. always doing something that you're so comfortable with doing, yeah. the opportunity for growth is not really there. So if if you're doing something that is making you really uncomfortable and is very challenging. Yeah, have you seen that graphic? There's a circle and then there's a little, you know, upside down peace sign, you know, and, and that's your comfort zone. Right. But imagine if that was a pendulum. If you just go outside, the, if you can take that ball or that pendulum outside right. your comfort zone by an inch, it goes and extends the by an inch on the other side. So now your comfort zone just got right. wider and then you're growing, right? I really believe that growth personal growth is entering a, 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 an area of discomfort and becoming comfortable in it. Right. And now you're looking for the next one and the next and it never ends. If you ends get comfortable again, you, you have to keep it, going till you, yeah. till you die. It's difficult. Yeah. Well, till you die, man. Never yeah. stops. So that's my personal belief. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's great. I can well, go on, man, yeah. on if you want to talk about it. You know, yeah. I, I just do, and I don't know when we do this, Nathaniel, but there are some things that I want you know, you to pick up on and, and whether you use them or not is entirely up to you. But there are some things that at one time when I was arrogant and more self-absorbed, I had this thing called the Ben Commandments, believe it or not. Anyway, it sounds so 
horrible yeah. now. But there are some things in it that I find that I still make the same mistakes and I'm reminded of them. And maybe we can talk about one or two or three of them later or now or what have mm -hmm. you. But the, yeah. the biggest, one of the ones that just came to mind, I said, I want to impart this to Nathaniel, is, you know, I had this line, you have to stop the uh, train sometimes before you can fix the tracks, right? Right. And so many of us, we get going on that train and we never stop it. And as a result, that train never really operates at full potential because the track's broken or it's rickety or what have you. Uh -huh. And I know what that's like with yeah. Good To Go and, and everybody's business, sometimes it's way better to stop. Stop entirely, put the brakes on and get that thing fixed. Right, reevaluate what you're doing, what direction you're going in. Yeah. Or you know what, my, hey, my accounting's messed up. Stop everything until you've got a proper accounting system in place. Right. You know, I've got this problem with this employee. Stop, get that problem fixed or, or get rid of the employee. Stop the, tr you know, track, sorry, stop the train so you can fix the tracks. And I can't, I don't always heed my own advice, but I know it instinctively. So um, for those of you that are younger starting in your own path, I can't tell you how important that one has been for yeah. me to remember. And, and you'll see it in small little situations as well as big ones. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. I mean, taking some time to kind of quiet down and 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 reevaluate every part of what you're doing and see like, mm -hmm. am, I, am I doing the impact or am I, am I um, heading in the direction that I want to go, specialize in the right thing or Mm -hmm. or what I'm doing it is it sending a different message or if I if you're kind of too broad or not specialized on specific like I guess what I'm talking I think those are true but it's not to the heart of what I'm saying uh -huh. is when you success is funny huh because success actually can kill you because right. if you if you were so busy that you couldn't stop you had right. client after client after client after client right what happens to most businesses is that starts, right? And, and they don't fix the fundamental track problems. Right. So they never stop. And a year goes by, two years go by, five years go by. And they're too busy to stop because they can't say no to their client. Right. Sometimes it's, I'm stopping. I'm not open this week. I'm not, I'm not going to take your calls. I'm done for a month, a day, an hour, whatever it is. And identify that the truth. And that really is the whole power of, to be honest, is mm -hmm. that... You know, if we were really honest with ourselves, we know what's fundamentally wrong with our businesses and sure. ourselves, quite frankly. Sure. We just don't want to deal with it. It's uncomfortable, right? Yeah. Back to that discomfort. It all comes back to that. But if we're really honest with ourselves, we'd stop and fix that darn problem because right. that's way bigger than you think it is. Right. That I think problem. on that, I think I just need to stop. Well, well, really, I mean, this format is pretty like natural it's just having a conversation and it's just kind of like the cameras are there but I mean just being here with you after about 60 seconds I kind of forgot the forgot cameras it. were there that's good so having this is a lot easier for me and especially yeah. like um, being with clients and needing to flesh out and articulate their dreams and their vision for yeah. the future of their business is very difficult uh, for the client as, yeah. as well because like them being able to articulate that straight to the camera is very different than having a conversation like this 
and us being able to flesh out like actually what that means in a conversation mm -hmm. is so much different. And then, like you're saying, you can take ex excerpts of that and distill it and, and I guess like find that you know, like distill the dream down to the vision. To the nugget. To, Looking for the to, nuggets, To the right? small thing. And a lot of the time those nuggets are, oh, there's the client being truthful. Oh, I got it there. I could sense that. A lot of it is following the messages, listening to the messages of your senses or right. your instincts to, and they don't even know it sometimes, but you feel it viscerally. Right. And I got to figure out how to tell them to tell that story or right. you got to put that in your brief or whatever the for case sure. may be. But I, I'll always come back to the truth and the power of it and honesty and vulnerability because that's where my space is at right now. I mean, there's more more to life than that or business, but but uh, it's, it's a very big part for me in imparting what it is. Sure. It doesn't really matter what you do and how you do it. It's um, it in some way will be, in my opinion, somewhat dependent on how truthful you are mm -hmm. about it yeah. with yourself and others. Yeah, yeah, and I, I love that kind of that concept of just like stopping and like, I think there's some pretty big trends going on now in like essentialism and minimalism mm -hmm. of just like, mm -hmm. like what's the like essential thing you actually need and like what is like the bare bones that you can live with and be happy. I mean, wow, they're, that's they're just, saying that's so much like what's like less is more, right? So like, the least amount of things you need to worry about, the more you can kind of focus. Yeah, and or and just or just just live and breathe that. Things, like, yeah. like what what do I suck at? Yeah. What am I not good at today? And and not ignore that for a, a day, a week, a month, a year, a decade, which most of us do. Right. And what do I suck at today? And how am I going to fix that tomorrow? How am I going to stop the tracks, stop the train to fix that? And look constantly looking for that for that nugget of what am I not good at, you know, and, and how do you, you don't have to stop your business, but you have to stop the process, you know, I'm not going to make this smoothie anymore at good to go until that process with the dates, which takes extra blending, I'm giving you an example, right. stop it. Don't go on for a year and piss off 354 more customers right. who had the less than perfect smoothie. Right. Stop the train. Stop the damn train and fix the track that it runs right. on. Yeah. So for me, it's all about the the the, uh, the examination of truth. And I love your 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 you obviously you're you're a pretty smart guy, and and, and I loved your references to Thank minimalism you. and 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 ex and uh, I was gonna say existentialism, but it, it, what did you call it? Essentialism. Essentialism, yeah, like which is I love that. Term. I don't know much about it, but I assume that it's, it's something I've just recently started picking up. Is it the up same as minimalism? In, I think it's a. I think it's pretty close. Yeah. But it's like minimalism. I think is more like in the moment. Yeah. Like, the amount of like maybe stuff you have, the amount of like I guess material possessions, and uh -huh. also what you're doing. But yeah. I think the essentialism is is more like on a time period, like you're talking about, like top stopping the train and. And uh, so I think the essentialism part goes more with what you're talking about. It's hmm. just like giving breathing room and and taking a pause and stuff. So to really focus, because I guess when you sit around and, and, and you're doing nothing, I guess, or, or you're meditating or doing whatnot, however hmm. you kind of get into your creative process of, I guess, change, didn't you? We all are, right? I think we all understand this to some degree, some down deep, is that we're all just a product of our habits. 
right? So, you know, I have this one particular horrible habit of as soon as I wake up, I have to check my phone. I'm sure a lot of us right, do. Right, yeah. So I'm starting to try to create this new habit of putting my phone in another room. Mm -hmm. And I really, really want to, to get my heart rate up. And then I want to meditate. And then I want to create a few minutes to create my, my plan for the day. So that's an hour or so that I'd like to do. That's for me. And then I get the reward of checking my phone. Right? Right. But man, I do it and I don't. I stop and I start and I do it for a day and then not for three days. And I can't tell you how hard it's been for me, but I'm so committed to getting back and trying that tomorrow because the days that I do it, it's unbelievable, right? I am so set up for success, I think. Yeah, that's so. interesting. I mean, like, I always think of, like, well, why don't I just plug my phone outside of the room? But yeah. I, I still haven't really done it that much, <laughs> but I think it would definitely help in what I'm doing. Like, like, like you're saying, the reward process. Like, if you're just yeah. going at it right away, it's like you already kind of got the reward and getting out of the bed might not happen as quickly or, I guess, kind of, like, uh, getting into your creative process might not happen as quickly because you're checking your emails, replying to people's requests already, and you haven't kind of taken that me time. And you fooled yourself, yourself, right? You right. fooled yourself that you're being productive. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm doing productive things right. here. So but you're not really like ready to do those productive things because you haven't taken your me time. You're not optimizing. Yeah. You're not being your yeah. best self, right? You're not doing the best that you can. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. Well, thank you a lot for no uh, spending the time and sitting down with me. Really My appreciate pleasure. all your insight on and everything that you're doing uh, to change kind of the the food culture here in North yeah. Bay. That's I, really awesome. And, it is. And it's important it's not, too. It's not um, something that's easy to do, and I'm really happy that that's a burden that you've taken on. Mm. I mean, eventually, you know, our, our, being an entrepreneur, uh, you're kind of pushing that forward. So now we actually have a place, and and it's not just putting the peg forward for you, I guess at this point, that when you're, you're placing that peg forward, there's a lot of people who are going to be looking up to that. And I guess, I mean, it's hard for franchise places to change, but if there's a lot of home-owned restaurants or like people-owned, wholly-owned restaurants here in North Bay, maybe, maybe they're going to pick up mm -hmm. on that because of your being a catalyst towards healthy fast food. Raising the bar. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I just want to talk about that. So it's funny because you want to do that. I think I think part of why I got out of, and now, ironically, I want to get back into some form of marketing communications. I kind of miss it for reasons that I'll get into later, was that I was really tired of the lack of honesty in media. And, and I used to call it media smog, you know, and I was, right. you know, so much bullshit around what people project themselves to be in social media or their websites or their collateral material or their advertising campaigns and it was just such a facade that I felt like it was completely opposite to what my passion was which, was, which is to find truth right? right so what I thought was with good to go was to start a movement right start a goodness movement because I fundamentally believe again that a lot of our personal health is based on how we think how much we move and what we eat. If you think about it, if we if we ingest yeah. the right thoughts 
and we move, get our body going the way we want it to, and, sure. and eat the right yeah. things, we're going to be a byproduct of that. So I'm really happy that I'm part of the solution and not part of the problem that I think I was contributing to in the past. And I think that's, um, I think what I've learned is that you don't have to be part of the problem just because you're in media, is that you can actually use your good goodness movement and use media to actually propel that. And I was, I was a little... Um, uh, what would I say? I guess I was a little blurred or was a little colored into that into that thinking and that was wrong. So anyway, that's I'll awesome. end it with that. That's awesome. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for sticking around to listen to the Catalyst podcast. Uh, if you enjoyed it, definitely uh, give it a like and subscribe to the channel. Thank you very much and enjoy the rest of your day.